Hello, everybody. My name is Jake McGrell, and alongside me are Diana Hong and Ollie Nicholas of CITR Sports, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. And after a couple of tough weeks for a few teams, the Thunderbirds, by and large, got back on track a bit this past week, especially for volleyball and hockey. Basketball also took two of their three games, and women's rugby had another strong weekend, with baseball as really the only team that properly struggled as they continue their non-conference play down in the U.S., After we cover all of that, we have the first of a two-part interview for you. As a couple of days ago, I sat down with Aaron McAleenan, the new head coach for our UBC women's basketball team. Before we get to that, however, let's look at some other sports, including how our basketball teams did this past weekend. Well, with dreams of an undefeated season finally dashed by the Vikes last weekend, the last thing the Thunderbirds men's basketball team needed was a long stretch of bad form. Luckily, while the team didn't play up to their sky-high standards at home against the Cascades on Friday, they did get back to their winning ways. Triumphant, oh God, triumphing uh, 91-82 to to bring their record to 14-2. and That's an easy word. <laughs> you did great. You did. Uh, you did great. <laughs> Diana has sympathy. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing better than me, actually, but it's okay. Um, the two teams traded blows for the first three minutes of this one, leading to an early ten to ten tie. Osuk Bansandu free throw, one of the twelve he made with zero misses of the night, then gave UVC a lead they wouldn't relinquish Ooh. for the rest of the game. <laughs> Yeah, this is another revenge game for Sandu. He transferred from UFV to UBC this season. He had 21 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists to go along with his great free throw shooting against his former school. Sandu wasn't alone in lighting up the score sheet as the Thunderbirds' big four all came to play. Grant Adu scored 18 points with 7 rebounds. James Wood had 15 points and Kyle Foreman led the, te- uh, led the team with 6 assists. Tobia Kinkumi had one of his best games as a Thunderbird, pulling down seven boards, a block, a steal, and eight points. On the other side of the spectrum, Jack Cruz Dumont had a rare dud, scoring zero points and only contributing three helpers, expecting him to bounce back. Yeah, the offense, it was looking good. It was fine. However, Coach Kevin Hansen will probably not be happy with how the team has been playing defensively in the new year. They only gave up more than 80 points once in the first 13 games of the season, all the ones in the first semester. And then since the calendar turned to 2022, all three games, Thunderbirds have given up more than that amount. With two games remaining of UBC's schedule, a visit to UBCO on Saturday and a midweek home game against the Wolfpack on the 23rd, the Thunderbirds should have two focuses. Returning to that stellar early season form, and holding on as a um, number three seed in the conference. The Canada West top three get buys in the playoffs all the way through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the the postponement of these games. Wens Hockey did a similar thing, and it wasn't due to COVID issues, but because the playoffs, the start of the playoffs were delayed a week or two for these sports, the coaches on both sides decided, hey, instead of just having a week where we do nothing, how about we agree to bump our game a little bit into the future. 
Yeah, well, speaking of the Wolfpack before, uh, the UBC women's team took on TRU as part of their homestand this weekend. After a Friday loss to UVF, uh, 64-56, the Thunderbirds came out firing all cylinders and then some. That second game against the Wolfpacks was 80-35. to Here's hoping, uh, here's hoping the women's parlay that win into sustained success and that the game functions as a good omen for the men. Any additional comments only about how they blow 80 to 35? Are you going <laughs> to give uh, claps? I, I can give claps to that. I mean, it had an exclamation point next to it. I, I'm all for it. You know? <laughs> okay. Before we cover that game, we'll take a quick look at the that loss against the Cascades. UBC looked to be in control early, holding a 14-point lead at halftime. But a furious turnaround from UFE made this one a multi-possession game for the bad guys with four minutes to go. And one of the things that contributed to the Thunderbirds failing to hold on to that lead was the loss of Haley Council to injury in the second quarter. She's had some a lot of tough shooting. We've talked about her shooting percentages, especially in the last few weeks. But she is one of the leaders of this team. And her loss obviously felt uh, with the second half of that game. They they didn't need her against TRU. She sat out that uh, that the following night. Hopefully she'll be able to return soon. Mm-hmm. Well, Madison Legault was the Thunderbirds' top scorer, but that mark was only 12 points. Uh, Emily Martindale was the other uh, double-digit scoring player for UBC, going for 10 with 8 rebounds. With that out of the way, let's chat about what was undeniably UBC's best performance of the season. I had a pleasure of (laughs) (laughs) commentating this event with... Um, Jake, and compared to last time I was there, it was fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> was it? <laughs> there, there, UBC scored a lot of points. They didn't allow many points. The basketball itself wasn't great. <laughs> just, just a lot of, uh, yeah, anyways. 45 <laughs> points is the widest margin of victory the Thunderbirds have enjoyed in a conference game February 20th, 2016, when UBC clubbird Winnipeg. 86 to 38. Yeah, it was the also the final home game of the season for the women's team. That meant that the graduating seniors on the squad were honored. Those three are Legault, as well as Dina Sturiec and Kate Johnson. And I guess for them especially, good night to have your biggest win in six years. Mm, yeah, definitely. It's a good send-off for them. Um, all uh, three certainly gave the fans a phenomenal passing gift. Uh, Legault put up her career high points in with 18 and also had seven boards. Uh, Struick was up to her usual tricks, grabbing five rebounds, and Johnson went for 20 points, eight steals, also a career high, by the way, and seven assists. While the men's team has some kinks to work out without the ball, the woman wrote the textbook in this one. They only allowed three points in the entire first quarter. TRU also had <laughs> 36, let me say that again, 36 turnovers, which is one more than they had points. That, <laughs> I was Oof. keeping track of that while we were calling the game because, again, there, there wasn't as much drama in the actual game itself when UBC was up by so much. And the fact that they had more turnovers than points for the entire game is just... Sad. I, I, 
<laughs> never what the the fame the famous Sergio Aguero call. I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> You'll never see anything like this ever again. That was how I felt calling that game. <laughs> and yeah, and the Wolfpack, they're now one in seventeen on the season. So UBC didn't have as much of a test against them. They will have a bit more of a test this weekend as they head to Prince George to face UNBC. And then they go to UBC Okanagan in Kelowna for a match against them to end the regular season. They are now 6-10, and 10, and we'll look to get some more momentum heading into the playoffs. Like with basketball, this past weekend our women's hockey team played two games while the men's team played just one. For the women, their first game on Friday was 4-1 to one win in Langley over Trini Western Spartans. Yeah, Mackenzie Cordick scored uh, in the first to open the scoring, and that, and after the Spartans tied it early in the second, the Thunderbirds scored three goals in less than seven minutes through Cordick, Grace Elliott, and Kenzie Robinson. Yeah, Elise Hugens only had to make 14 saves for UBC. Meanwhile, the Spartans goalie Kate Fawcett faced 44 shots from the Thunderbirds. She did stop 40 of them. UBC had at least 12 shots in every period in that game. After only scoring five goals in the first four games of 2022, UBC put out their first four-goal game since December, which was also against the Trina Western Spartans. I mean, speaking of goals, the rematch on Sunday had even more of them. The scoring started in the first period after Emma Hall made it 1-0 for UBC. TRU then scored twice to take a 2-1 lead at the intermission. Yeah, and then the second period... It devolved. Penalty fast. There was a total of 13 penalties called combined between the two teams, nine of them on the Spartans. UBC took advantage of that by scoring five power play goals in just that one period. Those were scored by Cordick, Ashley McFadden, Ireland Perrot, and then two from Robinson. And she scored her second of the period with just two seconds left in the second. Up 6-2 to two going into the third, UBC looked safe, but the Spartans rallied and scored three straight goals to cut the lead to one, with two of their goals coming on the power play. However, with less than three minutes to play, UBC got one more on the power play, and Perot scored again to take a 7-5 win for the Thunderbirds. Uh, word of the day, power play. Power play. <laughs> I learned what it meant today. Yes, and explaining to Ollie more hockey terms. Yeah. They, part of your Canadian education. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very required. Well, I mean, if you don't mind, Dan, I'll introduce the men's okay. uh, since I was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boots on the ground. Boots on the ground, had a great time, had a few beers. <laughs> Got a better grasp of what hockey was. <laughs> the only bit that was lacking was the power play. So when I came in here today, first thing I asked Jake, were you, were you getting a grasp of, ho- of hockey before or after the beers? It helped me get. A grasp <laughs> of hockey. Um, I felt very fluid. Um, so the game I went to, the men's hockey game. Uh, yeah, they dominated the Trinity Western Spartans this Friday with a seven-two win. Uh, this puts the Thunderbirds tied for third uh, with the University of Calgary Dinos in Canada West standing. Yeah, maybe not the most dramatic game that you could have gone to for your first, it, only your second ever ice hockey game. Yeah, it wasn't dramatic, but it was impressive to watch, and I'm glad they won. <laughs> so, At least they didn't lose 7-2. Exactly. <laughs> that would have been a lot exactly. more sad. <laughs> so I'm very happy with the performance. And any comments on the Spartans? 
uninspired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Thunderbirds dominated from the beginning with a 2-0 lead almost six minutes into the first period. Both first-year forward Jake Kriske and first-year forward Scott Atkinson scored their seventh of the season. Yeah, the Spartans, they did respond two minutes later with the goal through Jarrett Penner, but the T-Birds forward Chris Douglas, who leads the team in scoring this season, restored their two-goal lead just three minutes after that. Matt Ravel then added his first of two power play goals to give a three-goal lead with seven minutes remaining in the second. The Spartans did not score another to reduce the lead, but um, no, they did score, apologies, another to reduce the lead, but it wasn't enough as UBC came back pushing more in the third. Ravel added his second of the game with another power play deflection early in the third. Not long after, defenseman Matthew Smith scored on a delayed penalty and gave UBC a 6-2 lead. Then Atkinson added another to close the game with five-goal lead finish. Yeah, this win, it was the 11th of the season for the third-year goaltender Ryland Toth, who, as mentioned a couple weeks ago, former emergency backup for the Vancouver Canucks. He can have that on his resume. So you had the, the Canucks in your first game, and then you had a Whoa. former cup of coffee with the Canucks in well, your second. He, he, he might have been stressed out when he was on the bench for the Canucks a little bit. <laughs> I tell you, he didn't need to be stressed out in this game. <laughs> Honestly, I, I kind of watched him every now and then, and he was just like doing his thing. Like he just waited till the team scored and he kind of celebrated with them. <laughs> that was I can't remember that they did score one good goal where I was like, that was nice. But it was a, it was like isolated, right? It was just like out of the blue. Fair play, given props, but for the most part UBC were on top. Uh the team's game on February uh twelfth was postponed uh to this Saturday due to the playoff schedule as Jake mentioned earlier. Um, and mutual agreements between participating schools in uh, has sort of decided that. Uh, this will be the final game of the regular season for the men's hockey team. Uh, the Thunderbirds hope to win first round playoff bye. Now another team that is closing in on the end of their regular season is volleyball. And for just the second time this season, the women's volleyball team had a perfect weekend as they beat UFV 3-1 to on back-to-back nights. Friday's match saw the team split the two, the first two sets, but from there, UBC dominated, beating the Cascades 25-15 to in the third and 25-13 to in the fourth to take the win. Uh, the Thunderbirds had a great uh, defensive performance. Uh, UFV hit an even 0-0-0 uh, with 25 kills and 25 attack errors. UBC had 19 blocks led by Claire uh, Cossarini with four, and the Birds had 75 digs with four players in double digits, led by Kayla Oxland, who had a career-high 19, along with 38 assists. I believe the Thunderbirds average under 15 digs per set this season, so doing that in just four is pretty massive for them. Offensively, Kara Kovacs and Bryn Passan led the way with 13 and 11 kills, respectively. Cossarini and Trinity Selecki both had seven. Saturday's match did not start as well as UBC lost the first set 25 to 23, but from there they picked up steam and won three in a row to take the weekend sweep over the Cascades. Oxland uh, did not play in this match, so it was rookie Lucy Borowski. Uh, who filled in at setter, and she did well with 36 assists, 13 digs, 3 blocks, and 4 aces. UBC as a team had 13 aces, with Emma Donyan 
also serving four. Yeah, Kovac, she led the team in kills as she's done in all of her last five appearances. She had 14 on that night along with seven digs. Kostarini and Selecki both had eight kills, and Selecki also had a season-high 16 digs. The Thunderbirds again held the Cascades to an extremely low hitting percentage as UFE hit just 39, UBC hit 190 themselves, which isn't every, anything special, but it got the job done. Uh, UBC is at 7-5 and five and moved back to second in the BC division. They play the 6-4 and four, uh, UBC Okanagan Heat this weekend in what could determine who gets second seed. Yeah, I will be calling those games on uh, Friday and Saturday. Hopefully Diana will be able to join me for the Friday, which will uh, be the, uh, the end of the regular season for volleyball. Now, the men's volleyball team also had a weekend sweep over UFV. They one-upped the women's team a little bit as they didn't even drop a set. They won both matches. 3 nothing over the Cascades. Yeah, the Thunderbirds have really loved playing UFE this season. They've faced off four times, and UBC has won each one 3 to nothing. Yes. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for playing UFE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> UBC was playing without star Matt Neves as well as starter James Vincent, but that didn't matter in either match. Uh, Michael Doe... Dohanyak. Dohanyak, beautiful name, uh, was the star with 13 kills, 9 digs, and 3 blocks whilst hitting uh, 5 2 2. Uh, Colton Liu added 13 kills of his own whilst hit, uh, hitting a still great uh, 3 2 1 and had 5 digs himself. Yeah, the most efficient attack, however, was Gerard Murray. He had 9 kills and just 1 attack error, good for a 6 1 5 hitting percentage. And with the absences in the UBC lineup, it was Zarly Zaluski, another great name, had uh, his first start since opening weekend this season in place of Neves. He had six kills and two blocks. Saturday's match again saw Dwayniak <laughs> lead the way as he was dominant. He has 17 kills on a 636 hitting percentage, as well as three digs four blocks, and four aces. The rest of the team combined had just 18 kills on a 91 uh, hitting percentage. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You can have one player having a strong game, and you still win 3 nothing. <laughs> it just yep. shows how good he was yeah, playing. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't all good news as Lou exited the game in the first set and didn't return. With Neves and Vincent already out, we'll have to hope that this is uh, a team that can be fully healthy once the playoffs start. Yeah, we'll have to see who of those three are able to play this weekend and uh, pass that in the playoffs as well. If Lou is unable to go, if those other players are unable to go, someone who will get more playtime is second-year outside hitter Duncan Clark, who got a large amount of game time in this match against the Cascades for the first time this season. He had a career-high five kills as well as a couple of digs and a couple of aces. Like the women, the men's team are now 7-5 to five and set to play the 6-4 to four Heat this weekend to fight for second in the BC division. Uh, moving on to women's rugby, uh, they were back in action this week uh, and returned with a solid 4-1 uh, and one record over the weekend, finishing second place overall for the second consecutive tournament. Yeah, the weekend, it started quite well for the T-Birds with a solid performance. They beat their big rivals, University of Victoria Vikes, 36-7, although, although 
It was listed as the Vikes' second I team. I know. I saw this <laughs> when I was reporting on it, and I was like, wow, like that's a great win. And then I saw the <laughs> second team. I don't want to take anything away from the performance, but you know how good the Vikes are, so, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an asterisk on it. Yeah. <laughs> the Thunderbirds then pushed on, playing two games without conceding a point, beating the Trinity Western Spartans. 50 to nothing <laughs> and the University of Alberta Panas 27 to nothing uh, the Thunderbirds continued their shutout on Sunday with another 27 to nothing win this time only over the University of Lethbridge making it 104 straight points without conceding uh, over those last games yeah unfortunately then Victoria said we're just gonna roll in with our first team and play you in the in the in the rematch in the final game and Thunderbirds they were unable to get that perfect record as they did lose to the Vikes 34 to 12 and unfortunately as usual we don't have a lot of information about these games unfortunately but as we know from past weeks the vikes are difficult com- uh, opponents the vikes finished the weekend with a perfect five to nothing r- record um capturing back-to-back canada west rugby sevens tournament wins this season once again another person we always name every week uh, savannah bowder was named the canada west uh, rugby player of the week for her performance at the tournament she had 10 tries and four successful um, converts. Yeah. Just please let us know more about the, the Sevens team. We, we, we always yeah. know a good amount of what's going on with the, the 15s mm. when they play in the fall season. But unfortunately, we, we, d- we just don't get nearly as much information about what's going on we with the Sevens. To, we have to create the drama. We've got to manufacture the drama Again, ourselves. just think of all those unanswered points. <laughs> they must have been pretty good. The, the, the Victoria first stringers watching from the bench, like writing down like we're gonna get our revenge yeah. tomorrow <laughs> yeah that's probably what happened <laughs> okay moving on to baseball what's one similarity between our baseball team and kyler murray 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 <laughs> <laughs> a choppy relationship with arizona sure the heat is very nice but there's only so much fun in the sun you can have when you're losing games luckily the four game series that thunderbirds had with the Benedictine red hawks didn't go didn't all go sour the mesa locals took the first three games before the thunderbirds won the series closer nine to two now, game one was a 14-7 loss for UBC. Ty Penner was solid. He had three hits, three RBIs. Mike Fitzsimmons, he had quite an interesting stat line for this game. He managed to steal three stolen bases, despite the fact that he didn't have a recorded hit the entire game. Uh, <laughs> he was allowed to reach on a fielder's choice on a few of his hits, so maybe that was a poor decision made by the Red Hawks. Uh, game two was more the same uh, with... Uh, 12 to 7. At least this outing saw the Thunderbirds find offensive variety. Seven in the blue and gold had hits, and six players put up RBIs. Game three saw the def- defense perform better, but the offense also fell off, and UBC lost this one 6 to 1. With Simmons continued to generate headlines, his stat line in this one a strikeout, a stolen base, and hit by pitch. And three errors. We hope he's having fun. <laughs> then finally on Friday, the Thunderbirds, they put everything together. They managed to get a win. Fitzsimmons, he had three hits, three RBIs. First-year pitcher Sean Hepner was the story. 
He pitched six innings, gave up only four hits and zero runs, as well as no walks, and struck out 12 batters to help lead uh, UBC to a blowout victory. Uh, finished in Arizona, the Thunderbirds start a series against the University of Antelope Valley Pioneers. Wow. University of Antelope Valley, that's a school I would want to go to. Yeah, Antelope, <laughs> Antelope Valley Pioneers, what a school. Uh, on Saturday in Lancaster, uh, California, eight games remain before UBC returns home for the start of the CCC season on March 4th. I will be going to one of those games. That will be my fluid? Next. Once I master <laughs> hockey. <laughs> have, you been, have you been to a baseball game no, before? No, I, I even knew a little bit about hockey, like watched on TV. Baseball, nothing. <laughs> So I feel I feel like baseball is a sport that's a lot better to go to live than watch on TV. Yeah, well, that's on the to-do list. They will will have that opportunity in March and then going forward throughout the entire spring. Uh, for now, we now look at swimming. And our UBC swim teams were on Vancouver Island this past weekend as they took part in the West Coast Collegiate in Victoria. As they often do, Thunderbird swimmers dominated the meet with a UBC athlete winning 37 of the 68 races. Just easily. <laughs> Emma Spence was the star of the meet on the woman's side as she won five races over the two days, three of them in breaststroke and two of them in the medley. Uh, Daniel Uhainas, uh, who spent four years at UVic before transferring to UBC in the fall, was also dominant with wins in four races. And Emma O'Cronin was the third UBC woman to take four wins. On the men's side, there were four swimmers who won two races. Those were Blake Tierney, Hugh McNeil, Brody Young, and Kerr Ogilvie. This was the last official meet of the Thunderbirds ahead of the U Sports National Championships, which aren't until the end of March. The team will have plenty of time to prepare for that massive meet. And now we're going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs. When we come back, we'll have the first part of our interview with Coach Aaron McAleenan. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming client-centered models of service, ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive healthcare that is equitable and available, and supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and healthcare providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for trans members of our community. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Everybody is in provides relief to the COVID-19 crisis by delivering goods and services to residents of the downtown east side. And we need donations. Right now, we are looking for protective personal equipment, sanitation supplies, non-perishable food, and hygiene items. You can email everybodyisin2020donations at gmail.com to make a donation or go to dtesresponse.ca for more information. 
Everybody Is In is funded by Downtown Eastside Response through diversity, arts, music, and entertainment. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, I was able to speak with Coach Aaron McAleenan of UBC Women's Basketball just a couple days ago. And the interview was long enough that we're splitting it into two parts. In this first part, she talks about her journey as a coach from the high school level to now, what it was like to move across the country to start here last summer, and how it feels to replace the legendary coach Deb Hubind here at UBC. So here is the first part of the interview. This is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports and joining me today over Zoom is coach Aaron McAleenan of the UBC women's basketball team. And you were a U sports basketball player yourself back in the day at Acadia University. But after graduating with your degree, you didn't immediately start moving into coaching. You became a high school teacher for a few years. What was it that made you return to basketball as an assistant and later head coach at the university level? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when I, I graduated from Acadia, I went on and worked at Trinity College School where I was kind of a teacher's assistant in my first year before I pursued my education degree and and became a teacher. And while I was at TCS, um, you know, I was uh, assistant coaching um, high school boys and head coaching high school girls basketball uh, because there are different seasons there. And so then, you know, I feel like over my six years at that private school through, you know, teaching and coaching, I then was able to get some opportunities uh, coaching uh, Ontario provincial teams. And then through that, I also uh, I had some opportunities through Canada basketball to work within their high performance program. Um, so both a development program and then also uh, eventually kind of just getting involved with some of the national teams. And so I, I think that especially through the Ontario provincial teams, I probably got, you know, a bit of that taste of what coaching um, elite level athletes would be like, uh, as opposed to continuing to coach at the high school level. Um, and on top of it, I would say I was also probably a little bit of a geek. And I knew that no matter what, I really wanted to do my master's. Uh, I wasn't sure uh, at first when I was looking at my master's, of course, I had looked at an M.Ed. Uh, I had looked at a, a master's of science in sports psych. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do a master's no matter what. And so I felt like I kind of got that coaching itch where in order for me to see if I wanted to be a university coach uh, that I knew I needed to get assistant coaching experience. So I was fortunate that uh, through coaching provincial team, uh, I met Scott Edwards, who is the head coach for the University of Alberta women's basketball team. And that kind of led to me finding out about the uh, master's in coaching program that they had and still have at U of A. So I decided to quit my teaching gig at the private school and move across the country to Edmonton and take my master's uh, while also uh, getting the experience of being uh, his lead assistant coach. So it was definitely a gradual move up from the high school level to the different development programs to then eventually landing an assistant position mm -hmm. in Alberta. And then from there, you have had a few different head coaching positions now at different schools. What was it like? heading into your first head coaching job? Yeah, well, I will say, so I got my first head coaching job. Uh, I was hired in April of 2012. And at the time I was 
at, well, I technically was still at U of A, so I got the job and I became the head coach at the University of Lethbridge. I was also the head coach of the Alberta U-17 provincial team. And I was also a manager slash apprentice coach for the senior women's national team as Allison McNeil was the head coach. And they were actually preparing to go to the Olympic qualifiers, which they then uh, were able to uh, successfully win and go on. And they competed at the 2012 uh, Summer Olympics in London. And so I think when I first got the head coaching job, if I'm being honest, I was pretty overwhelmed with all of the new roles and responsibilities that were going to fall onto my shoulders um, while also balancing still coaching the Alberta provincial team and doing the uh, national team stuff. Uh, I was lucky uh, that when I got hired at uh, UofL, uh, they also afforded me the opportunity to be able to hire a full-time assistant coach. Uh, And so then through that position, um, I was able to to hire uh, somebody who between the two of us, we were both new in terms of being full-time at the university level, uh, but we were able to really bounce a lot of ideas off of each other. And we we had both played at the university level, but had come from different uh, programs and had different coaches. So, you know, had different backgrounds and experience. Uh, so it was great just kind of through that learning process of trying to be able to figure out, you know, what was going to be the best plan to be able to build that uh, successful university program. Uh, And then, of course, at the end of the day, it is still a bit of a a trial and error in terms of as you're going through the season of really trying to figure out what the student athletes need to be able to uh, perform at their best. And you've mentioned that you've had different experiences with the Canadian national team set up. You've been on staff for the Canadian U18 and U19 teams at different world championships for some highlights. How, how different is it coaching for a school versus Team Canada? Yeah. Uh, I mean, first, even when you say Team Canada, it's like I get goosebumps because I do think that uh, no matter what, whether it's school or um, you know your, your country or your province, you know, I think that you take great pride in being able to represent um, something greater than yourself. Um, at whatever that level is. And and I think that, you know, the difference though, when you're working with a national team or a provincial team, typically for that matter, the amount of time that you actually have together is pretty minimal uh, in comparison to when you coach uh, a university team and you have them really technically safe for the whole year, right? So with a national team, say for the U18 team, I mean, we would have a training camp that was maybe two weeks long. And then you're going right away uh, to either FIBA Americas or then with the U19 team, you're going over to the world championships. Um, And you've really only been together for a couple of weeks. And within that time, you know, maybe you've had 14 practices, but potentially you've only had, you know, kind of 12 practices. And so you, again, you just, in terms of what you have to focus on, you're really trying to focus more, I would say, on the we need to win now. So who do we who do we have? Where are they going to uh, where do they need to get the ball to be at their best? Right. What are their strengths? And you're really trying to hone in on those strengths. Well, also, you know, almost fast tracking the uh, the team chemistry aspect of, you know, you're trying to have team building activities so that everybody can get to know each other because uh, the timeline in terms of being able to get them to gel is, a, is so much faster than, again, say with a university team. You know, I think that at the end of the day, with the university team, your hope is that you're going to have those young women for four to five years. 
and then over that time, yes, you want to win now, but you are also trying to develop them because you know that you are going to be the one, you know, leading their overall um, growth and development over that four or five year career. Uh, and, and you have time, I mean, you know, for us, like I would say in a season, and when I say an official season, I would count only from say the beginning of September until nationals in March. I mean, you're likely getting 100, 115 practices, depending on uh, the year um, and how many games you have. And then in terms of games, I mean, you're likely having around 18 to 22 league games. And then exhibition is ideally maybe you get 10 and then playoffs, uh, you know, could be upwards of another 10, depending on, you know, structure and format. Uh so again, I, you just have so much more time with that university team. But as I'm sure you know, the university season is also interesting because you have midterms kind of right in the middle of competition in both. And you have uh, that big exam break in December, right? Like we typically finish our first term games the first weekend of December so that then the student athletes are able to really uh, prioritize studying for exams. And then there's a little bit of a break kind of for the holidays. And then you're trying to ramp back up getting into a uh, second semester. So again, just kind of that periodization and those ebbs and flows of a season uh, with a university season. It, it's uh, yeah, there, it's, it's longer, but the, you know, there are a lot more pieces going into it where with national team, it's um, yeah, it's really kind of jammed all together. And uh, you were hired by UBC last year. I'm curious to know what the hiring process for that was like. Did they reach out to you first? Were you seeing that there was a job opportunity opening up at UBC before that? How, how all did that come together? Yeah, so I, I mean, you know, in, in new sport, probably every school is slightly different. Uh, but last, um, I think it was end of March, very beginning of April, um, I had heard uh, that, uh, you know, longtime UBC women's basketball legend Deb Huband uh, had decided she was going to retire. Uh, and so then UBC had posted, um, you know, that they were looking to hire a new women's basketball head coach. Uh, you know, and, and at the time, of course, I had a great job at York University, um, you know, but, you know, I, I saw the posting and, and a few friends had sent me the posting, etc. And you know, the thing in Canada is that there are only, you know, 48 uh, U-sport women's basketball head coaching positions across the country. Uh, and then when you try to narrow that down in terms of, um, you know, UBC is either the number one, number two academic school in the country, uh, on top of then being also, I would say, the number one athletic university in the country uh, with an amazing campus living on the West Coast. You know, there are just so many pluses that, uh, you know, I thought that for me, you know, I had technically just finished my ninth season as a U-sport head coach, uh, that UB applying for the UBC job was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up to be able to have the chance uh, to really have what I think is the best job in the country um, in my career. Uh, and then, of course, I was fortunate uh, to have been selected as the, uh, as the overall candidate. And as you mentioned, Deb Hubin, the coach that you replace, truly a legendary coach in U sports and Canada basketball, in the Canada West record books at UBC for over two decades. Are you, are you, were you feeling that type, some pressure 
trying to fill in for these uh, for these shoes and make your own mark on this uh, program? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, Deb, you know, took UBC and really turned it into, uh, you know, the women's basketball powerhouse that it is uh, well known to be. And so I think that anytime you take over for somebody like that, I think that the, you know, the pressure is there in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to maintain and build upon uh, that great legacy uh, that she left behind. Uh, and I think that, you know, I'm driven to succeed as is. So there's always, you know, the internal pressures uh, anyway, but for sure, I think, you know, it would be, I'd be lying if I said there weren't say that extra pressure uh, because I'm um, taking over for somebody uh, who did have such a great impact. And I would say not just at UBC, but, you know, within women's basketball in Canada, um, you know, that I then aspire to be able to, you know, after 27 years uh, to be able to still leave that a similar kind of legacy. Now, obviously, this year, this past year during the pandemic, not the most ideal time to be moving to a new city, starting a new job, this whole new school and culture here at UBC. So what has that acclimation process been like for you? Do you now feel settled here in Vancouver? Yeah, you know, I would say, Jake, it's interesting. Um, moving across the country by yourself in a pandemic uh, is an interesting move. Uh, <laughs> You know, on top of the fact that everybody told me that you don't need air conditioning in Vancouver, uh, you know, it doesn't get that hot. It cools off nicely in the summer evenings. Well, nobody prepared me for the heat wave that we had. I believe I moved here on June 15th, and I think it was the next week. Oh, so that, you got here just in time. Yeah, yeah, so I got here just in time uh, for that heat wave. Um and, and also, I would just say, you know, moving to uh, a new job, like within, say, UBC Athletic Department during a pandemic where staff are able to work remotely, um, it makes it maybe a little bit different because, you know, as a coach, uh, it's pretty hard to work remote, right? You know, you're, you're in the gym uh, with, the, with the student athletes and or, uh, you know, kind of meeting with them, etc. And so... Yeah, I think it just makes that transition a little bit different uh, when potentially uh, like everything wasn't back up to, let's say, normal pre-pandemic, uh, you know, uh, everybody working in person. So I think that the summer and fall were a little bit interesting. And then, you know, with the second wave in um, with Omicron after Christmas and still things like classes being back online uh, and, and staff being able to, again, work from home. But I think it's been a different kind of transition process for me. And my hope is that kind of through this spring, summer, that I'll feel a little bit more acclimated uh, to here. But overall, yeah, I mean, I, I like, I love Ben. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I, I think that if anything, I'm definitely finding my stride uh, more so now this semester, you know, because I've been here what, maybe eight months or so ish now. Um, but yeah, but I do think that being able to kind of get into this, uh, the off season, say like in April, May, June, uh, this, this year will be nice just to try to, uh, yeah, just feel a little bit more settled than I have been the last, uh, six, eight months. And you mentioned the changes that were brought in at the start of this semester with the Omicron wave. Yeah. And it was only last week that classes started happening in person once again here on campus. 
Mm-hmm. What, what was that balancing act like for you and for your players having classes online? I assume you would have different meetings and other staff work online, and yet you're also in the gym practicing, playing these games, going to different schools, traveling, trying to stay safe. How do you try and navigate that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that one of the biggest things was, you know, always interesting when potentially others didn't have to say return to campus uh, because classes weren't in person. And uh, whereas for the student athletes, you know, they still had to return um, because we uh, we were still having practices and games. Uh, we did have to postpone a few games and, and um, because of COVID. Uh, and, and we were fortunate that the athletic department was able to acquire some rapid tests uh, so that we were able to rapid test, again, doing our best to be able to keep everybody uh, safe. And I would say, if anything, probably just became even more diligent in terms of mask wearing and, and washing hands, et cetera, because I think that there was potentially a bit of a time in the fall when we were maybe all feeling like hopefully we were taking that final step to come out the other side of the pandemic. Um, but Omicron had uh, a different plan in mind for us. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, again, as a student athlete, they're really trying to balance being that full time student while also being a uh, like a varsity athlete, which arguably is the same in terms of time commitment as working a full-time job while you're also going to school full-time. And I think that at the end of the day, in some ways, when classes are online, it might be a little bit easier for them to balance that time commitment um, because, you know, the walking to and from classes, right? Some of your transit time uh, is going to be less because now you maybe get to choose where you are uh, uh, doing your synchronous um, online class from. Whereas when classes are in person, as you know, we have a beautiful big campus, but you know, some uh, like one of the young women might have to walk, you know, 20 minutes from more to go to a class and then they still have to be able to walk back or a lot of them have bikes too, but biking back and forth. So I just think that, you know, that transit time actually probably adds more time in their day that they then don't have to be able to study and or complete assignments. So they potentially had a little bit more time, but I think that, again, the bigger focus was really just trying to keep everybody healthy, knowing that, especially when a lot of them room together, whether it's, you know, um, in first year or upper year residences, uh, that you have to be that much more mindful of not just keeping yourself safe, but of course, also protecting your roommate. That is the end of the first part of my interview with Coach Aaron McAleenan. Next week, we'll play the second half of it where she talks more about this specific season so far, how it's gone, what she looks for when it comes to recruiting, how far she's planning ahead with putting her stamp on this program, all that good stuff. But for now, before we wrap up for this week, we just have a couple of other quick pieces of news to share. Men's field hockey played against West Vancouver FHC on Saturday. Unfortunately, they lost 3-2-2. On top of that, we don't know anything else about the game besides the score. Yeah, well, men's field hockey, it's th- there were weird gray area within <laughs> UBC athletics because they're not varsity. But also they're not like one of the Thunderbird Sports Clubs or just a, a, a completely unaffiliated team either it's it's a little bit odd and they never get any sort of coverage which is unfortunate but (laughs) elsewhere coming up at the beginning of march is the world race walking team championships and there are five canadians heading to the event including two current and two former ubc athletes 
The current Thunderbirds are Olivia Lundman, who is competing in the under 20 10K race, and Tyler Wilson, who is still eligible to compete in the under 20 category race, but qualified for the senior 20K race. Yeah, the alumni are Evan Dunphy, who is more well-known in Canada as he won a bronze medal at the Olympics in Tokyo last year. There's also Ben Thorne, who has returned to competition for the first time since 2016. And now before we head out, Diana, what do we have to look forward to over this next week? I think everyone should be getting used to it by now. <laughs> I am the out, I am the queen of the of the Thunderbird schedule. Sorry, not sorry, Corey. So, women's basketball team is on the road tomorrow, 6 p.m. in Prince George to uh, play against the University of Northern British Columbia. They'll be back on Saturday. Um, uh, in Kelowna, playing against UBC Okanagan Heat. Um, and uh, women's volleyball and women's or uh, men's volleyball. Both of the teams will have doubleheader at home Friday, Saturday. This will be the game on Saturday for these both teams will be their last game of the regular season. Um, women's hockey have a... Uh, they're playing against University of Regina at home at 7 p.m. on Friday, um, as well as um, Saturday as well. It's a doubleheader. Baseball is back in California. Lancaster, 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 playing against University of Antelope Valley. We've mentioned it earlier. We all want to go to university. <laughs> um, they will be playing. And softball is starting um, on Sunday in Washington, Ellensburg, playing against Central Washington University. So softball, baseball, back in season. And women's volleyball. Um, uh, volleyball, ice hockey. Um, they'll be heading into playoffs after this. And then the final thing on Tuesday, we have golf returning to action as well. I'm not sure how to pronounce that name of the tournament exactly. The Slotnik, the Slot, Slotnik Open here <laughs> in Vancouver. Both the golf teams will be uh, participating in that. Nice to see softball as well finally getting their season underway a couple of weeks after baseball. It's gotten them, although both teams are just traveling around the u.s <laughs> rather rather than playing here at home just yeah we have to wait a little bit for them to get home games but uh with that thank you for tuning in to thunderbird eye on citr 11.9 besides listening to the show the best way to keep up to date with ubc thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on twitter facebook instagram and youtube at citr sports next up on citr is the all access pass for thunderbird eye this has been jake McGrail, diane hong and ollie nicholas with contributions from Corey branson Thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.